Moment I, I, um, moment I, I um, want to ask you a question, a kind of a personal question, just curious. How many of you have not, you have not finished your Christmas shopping? You've not done that yet. Okay. Let me give you some advice, just a little help. Never go to a mall during Christmas on Saturday afternoon. Never do that. I had something that happened. This has never happened in my life. I just got to tell you this. I just want to kind of vent a little bit. So we came to CP Sirs, you know, and, and just had a great time. Saw people saved, baptized, fed a lot of people and all that. My grandson had a basketball game, so I went and saw my grandson play basketball. Got through about 4 o'clock. So my beautiful, precious Teresa has this brilliant idea. She says, hey, we're in the neighborhood. Let's go over here to Sugarloaf Mills. I've got a little shopping I'd like to do. Said, okay, we're in separate cars. I've never had this happen in my life, ever. I've been to that place over there, I don't know how many times. I literally, there literally was no place to park, no place at all. We rode around that whole mall twice. And it was so cool, my wife gets, my phone rings, and Teresa says, direct quote, she's almost in tears. She says, I can't do this anymore. Let's go home, I'm going to bed. So just a thought, just trying to help you out, okay? Go on Mondays or Tuesdays or go somewhere, but just don't do that. Now, in that spirit, turn to the neighbor next to you and say, Merry Christmas. Would you do that? Okay, great. Super. You can be seated. I want to welcome those who are watching online, those who are watching by computer, uh, those who are watching by television, those who are live streaming, and those at our campus at Mill Creek. It is that time once a year that, uh, you know, we all love, and like it or not, Christmas is a season of celebration that, believe it or not, from the very beginning, it's built around this baby that was laid in a manger, probably in a stable. That's why we've entitled this little Christmas series we're doing, Away in a Manger. Because the Christian faith declares something that's incredible, and that is that that baby that was laid in that manger 2,000 years ago was unlike any other baby that was ever born before and unlike any other baby that will ever be born afterwards. And, and, and here's the thing I love about Christmas. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It's not politically correct. But whether you like it or not, you're really forced this time of year to, to, to ask yourself a question. Who was this baby? Who was that baby then? And who is that baby now? And let me tell you why this is so fascinating to me. If you look at all of the, literally, I think we're now told that there's been about 107 billion people who have lived on planet Earth. As far as we know, there's about 107 billion people who have lived. You've had in human history very few people who have sparked a great world religion. For example, Mohammed is one of those very few people that spoke to great wide world religion. And then you've had very few people who were so brilliant in the way they thought and, and in their concepts and in their principles that, that, that they laid out a way to think about the world and life and humanity that countless people have adopted as their, their worldview. They said, yeah, we think you're right in the way you see life and the way you see the world and, and the way you see human existence, like Plato uh, and Aristotle. Very few people like that. Then you've got this small number of human beings that, that over these thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years, ever how long we've been here, who knows, who claim to be divine beings. They claim to be some type of God. 
So you've kind of got these three categories of people, right? You've got people like Mohammed, and somehow they, they sparked a, a worldwide religion. And then you've got the Plato's and the Aristotle's who are so brilliant in their thinking that they, they, they even have a way of thinking. You, you, you think platonically. You think in an Aristotelian type of way. And, 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 and people have adopted their worldview. Then you've got these very few people who come along and they claim to be a divine being. They don't claim to be just some superhuman being. They claim to be God. Now, here's what's fascinating. The only human being that's in all three of those groups is Jesus. The only one. He is the only one that sparked a worldwide faith. He's the only one that spoke about life and humanity and our existence in such a way that people said, I think you're right. I think just like you do. And he is the only person, listen to this, he is the only member in human history. There's only been one human being who not only said, we need to worship God. He said, oh, by the way, I am God. So you ought to start with me and has gotten enormous numbers of people to believe it. The only one. So you know, we're, we're in that time of season that, that, that Christmas is both a celebration and it's a confrontation. Because think about this. There are people that will make a lot of money this year, great singers and great musical artists. And they will make a lot of money singing about someone they don't even believe in. Telling a story in song they're not even sure really happened. Because Christmas is not just about when this baby was born or where this baby was born. Christmas really is about two things. Okay, who was this baby and what are we gonna do about it? And every year there's this, there's this underlying tension at Christmas. You can almost feel it. You can almost hear it. So people say, I don't wanna say Merry Christmas. I wanna say Happy Holidays. Why? Because they wanna take the, the Christ away from it. I'm not getting on that soapbox, that's not my point. I'm just simply saying there's this tension every year that we have to come to grips with, with this baby that was born and laid in a manger because after this baby was born, we're told he grew to be a man. He died on a cross. 40 days after that happened physically, he left or he disappeared and he's never been seen or heard from since. And so now we've come 2,000 years later and it seems everybody's got their own particular version of Jesus. So you've got some who say, well, Jesus was a, a good teacher. And then you've got people who say, well, he was a great moralist. And then some say, well, he was an outstanding philosopher. And then of course, you've got a lot of people who say, and most of the world religions say this, he was a great prophet. And what's so interesting is, you know, to, to any normal human being, those would be tremendous compliments. But in this case, here's what you've really got happening in our world today. People are trying to cut Jesus down to their size. Oh, yes, he was a moralist. He was a, a great ethical teacher. He was a great philosopher. He was a great prophet. But here's the single problem with all of those thinkings. If, 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 if Let's say everything they say is true about Jesus. He was a great moralist. He was a great prophet. He was a great philosopher. He was an outstanding teacher. Let's just say, but let's say that's all he was. That's it. But here's the problem. None of those by themselves or all of those things put together can account for the great fame that he has. 
It can't account for the fact that he's got two and a half billion people following him. It can't account for the fact he's got a worldwide faith that is going stronger than ever 2,000 years later. Because when you go back to history, he's certainly not the only great teacher that's ever lived. He's not the only brilliant philosopher that's ever spoken. He's not the only ethical moralist that tried to tell us how to live right. He's not the only insightful prophet. They've all come and they've all gone. And yet when you look at all of them across the spectrum of history, none of them have a worldwide faith named after them. None of them have two and a half billion followers following them today. None of them have had all the books written about them that Jesus has. None of them have had all the songs composed about them that Jesus had. None of them have had all the sermons preached about them or the educational institutions built for them like this one single man. So who was this baby that was laid in a manger? To, 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 to put it in 20th century terminology, let me make it very easy for everybody to understand. And I don't mean this to be disrespectful. He was just another dude, or he wasn't. And that's the only two choices you got. Whatever else he was, whatever else he did well, whatever else he was great at doing, whatever else we ought to remember about him, at the end of the day, he was just another dude, or he wasn't. So, the question is, who was this baby? And why do we sing about him? Why do we celebrate his birthday? Why do we preach about him? Why are books still being written about him? Why are schools still being built in his honor? Why are courses being taught in colleges and seminaries all about just him? Well, in a New Testament book called Colossians, there was a man by the name of Paul. And his life was so radically transformed when he said he met this Jesus that he gives the clearest picture of Jesus anywhere in the New Testament. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna learn why billions of people worship him. Billions of people love him. Billions of people adore him. Billions of people pattern their lives after his. And by the way, why you should too. We're in the book of Colossians. If you brought your little discipleship booklet, it's on page 56. You can follow along with us. And so here's what I want you to understand. It's only after you experience who Jesus was and who Jesus is that you'll ever understand his fame. You'll ever understand our faith. You'll ever understand his followers. We're in Colossians chapter one. Here's what Paul said about Jesus. This is what Paul said. If you want to do this baby was and why we, why we relate to him the way that we do, here is the answer. Paul said, first of all, we worship Jesus as the Lord of the universe. We worship Jesus as the Lord of the universe. Now, here's what Paul begins by saying about this baby. He says, the son, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, why does he call Jesus the son? Because he wants to make sure we understand, hey, I'm talking about that little baby that was laid in that manger. I'm talking about that 12-year-old boy that astounded the Pharisees in the temple. I'm talking about that grown man that, that, that turned water into wine and fed, a, fed thousands of people with a few loaves of fish and a few bread. I'm talking about that man that walked on the water and stilled the storm. But he was a human being. He was born just like us. However, then he says this. He says he is the image 
of the invisible God. In other words, he said this son was not the spitting image of his earthly mother, but he was the spitting image of his heavenly father. He was, when you looked at him, you saw God. By the way, that word image, we, is, the Greek word is icon. We get the English word icon from that. It refers to a perfect replica, a precise copy, an exact reproduction. In other words, as we said so many times before, Jesus was God in the flesh. That little baby, hard to believe this, but that little baby that was laid in that manger 2,000 years ago was just as much God as God the Father. Christ the Son, just as much God as God the Father. But by the way, he was more than just a replica or re reproduction. He was the real deal. So here's, I want you to get this in mind, in your mind. I want you to imagine you lived 2,000 years ago. And I want you to imagine that you're walking down the road, maybe you're in Jerusalem one day, and you hear this great commotion going on. There's this big crowd gathered, and you kind of look over and you say to a buddy of yours, you say, hey, who, what's, what's going on over here? Oh man, the, Jesus is over there. Jesus, you mean this Jesus I've been hearing about? Yeah, this Jesus. And so you go over there. Here's what I want you to understand. If you saw Jesus, you saw God. If you listened to Jesus, you heard God. If you touched Jesus, you touched God. And if that's not plain enough, listen to this. Paul doubled down on what he said about the son and he put it in a different way. He said this in verse 19. He said, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In other words, here's what Paul said. That little baby that we laid, we sing about being laid in a manger and that Christmas story that we read about that baby and all the angels that were singing and all the shepherds that were visiting and all the wise men that came to give gifts to, he was fully God. He was not fractionally God. He was not partially God. He was fully God. In other words, let me put it to you this way. There was a time when Jesus was not a human being. There has never been a time when Jesus was not God. There was a time when he was not a human being, but there was never a time when he was not God. That's why I can say this to everybody I talk to. Hey, do you need God today? You say, boy, I really need God today. Then go to Jesus. You say, um, really? Yeah, because when you come to God, you come to Jesus. If you love God, you love Jesus because he is fully God. And then Paul's just like, he's got this shovel. He says, let's just keep digging. Let's just go deeper. So he says this. He says, for in him, again, who are we talking about? The baby in the manger, the baby in the cradle, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. One of the first things, the first verses I taught our, our grandchildren, and I, and I taught them all. First verse I taught them was, I thought the best way to start, first verse in the Bible. It's very easy to remember, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First, very first verse I taught them. You all know that verse. Well, you could also say this. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. So let me just put it this way. When Paul said all things were created, here's what that means. If Jesus didn't make it, it ain't here. That's bad, the bad grammar, great theology. If Jesus didn't make it, it's not 
here. If it's here, it's here for one reason, because Jesus created it. Why are you here? Jesus created you. Why do you have children? Jesus created your children. Why do you have grandchildren? Jesus created your grandchildren. He created all things. And then Paul says, no, let's just go a little bit deeper. He goes on to say, he is before all things. In other words, before there was time, there was Jesus. Before there was space, there was Jesus. Before there was a universe, there was Jesus. There has never been a time when there was no Jesus. He is the only person in history. Think about this. He's the only person in history who the moment he was born, listen to this, the moment Jesus was born, he was older than his mother and as old as his father. Think about that. That'll blow your mind, won't it? Moment he was born, that little baby was older than his mother and as old as his father. He was God. He created all things. And as God, he was before anything. Paul, but I just want to love Paul doing Paul, Paul's doing. Paul says, hey, let, you want to go deeper? Let's go deeper. Watch this. He says, in him all things hold together. Now I want to I want you to stop right there and think about what he just said. In him all things hold together. He said, Jesus. He's not just the creator of the universe. He's the connector of the universe. He, you, you know, you, you, listen, you think you got a hard time holding it together? You ought to have his job. He holds it all together. He's holding everything together. Let me just give you a scientific illustration of how that has to be true. One of the things you learn in physics when you, when you get into high school is you learn that the universe is made up of atoms, A-T-O-M-S, right? Everything's made up of atoms. You're made up of atoms. I'm made up of atoms. This platform's made up of atoms. This, this floor's made up of atoms. The stars, the, 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 uh, the, the planets, the water, air, you and me, everything, all we are is simply a collection of atoms. Now, I'm gonna take you back to your high science physics class, if you remember. You remember in your science class, if you drill down to the center of an atom, you'll find what's called a nucleus, right? You've got six positively charged protons and you've got six negatively charged neutrons. Okay, here, here's the picture of an atom. That's an atom, right? And so we're drilling down to the nucleus. So you've got these, you've got these, these particles, you've, you've got these protons, they're all positively charged, and then you've got these neutrons. Well, then we learned this in our physics class. So let's see how many of you remember your physics. Okay, ready? It's not, this is easy. What do like charges do? They repel each other. That's what we're told. It's what they, they tell us. So, I mean, if a scientist says it, it has to be true. Ha ha. But anyway, listen. Like charges repel each other, right? That's what we're told. Well, if that's true, I have a question. That means physically, the nucleus of every atom in the world ought to be exploding like firecrackers. Matter of fact, every one of us in this room ought to be exploding like firecrackers right now. We ought to be literally blowing ourselves apart. So I have a question for the scientists. What's holding us together? What's holding the world together? What's holding the universe together? It's not what, it's who. Jesus said, he holds everything together. He holds it all together. Now, let me tell you why I, I, I really, this makes sense to me. When I read the Bible and, and, and I read, you know, you, you wonder, hey, how's all this going to end? 
okay? How's it all going to end? Well, you know, we read the scriptures, and whether you take it literally or not, you know, the, the, it, we're told that one day this earth is going to melt with such fervent heat that it's going to appear like it's a nuclear explosion. It's just going to burn up. And I've often wondered about that. I've always wondered, well, that's kind of, boy, it's just bizarre. I mean, it's kind of hard to understand. The whole world's just kind of going kind to of melt. That's what those scriptures are. Melt like, you know, with fervent heat. And then I read this passage and it hit me one day. I think I know exactly how this is going to happen. You ready? This is just the merit theory, okay? Don't tell your, if you're in high school or college, don't spread this. I think one day, Jesus, who's holding everything together, is gonna do just one simple thing. He's just gonna put his hands in his pocket. And everything's going to go boom. Everything's going to explode. Everything's going to disintegrate. Because here's the truth of the matter. He doesn't just hold the world in his hands. He's holding the world together. He's not holding the universe in his hands. He's holding the universe together. That baby who was laid in the hands of his earthly father is also the God who holds the whole world in his hands. And Paul said, he is the glue of the galaxies. He is the cement of creation. He is the Lord of the universe. He created all of it. He connects all of it. He controls all of it. That's why we worship Jesus as the Lord of the universe. That's enough to preach right there, but I'm not done. Neither was Paul. Paul said, I'll tell you something else about that little baby. He said, not only do we worship Jesus as the Lord of the universe, he said, we follow Jesus as the leader of the church. Now, I want you to hear this is, a, this, is my, this is the most important part of the message for me. We follow Jesus as the leader of the church. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 18. He is the head of the body of the church. Okay, we're called a body. He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, just stick with me for a minute. Jesus is the head of the church. And he's not just the head of the church. He is the head of every church. In other words, no believer on earth, listen, doesn't matter what his title might be. You can call him a pope. You can call him a pastor. Doesn't matter. No believer, no matter what his title is, is the head of the church. My, my, my mentor, Dr. Rogers, used to say so well, Anything with no head is dead. Anything with two heads is a freak. The church has one head, and that's Jesus. See, the church is called a body, and there's a reason for that. You know what the body's supposed to do? The body's supposed to do what the head tells it to do. The body doesn't control the head. The head controls the body. And so Jesus is the head of the church. He is the beginning of the church. I'm the founding pastor of this church. I'm not the founder of this church. Jesus is the founder. We, we were having our staff Christmas party the other, the other day, and I told our staff, and I tell them this quite often, I just want you to remember something. You don't work for me. You work with me. We all work for him. He's the head of the church. He, he, he is, he's the one, that, and by the way, he holds that right. You know why? Because Paul said he is the firstborn from among the dead. Now, a lot of people misunderstand that. There are cults that kind of misinterpret that verse. He is the firstborn from among the dead. Now, why is he called the firstborn from among the dead? Here's why. This may surprise you. 
You do know why hope, and if you don't, you read your Bible, you'll find this out. Jesus was not the first person who was ever raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, if you go read your Old Testament, you will find there were at least three people in the Old Testament who were raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself, if you remember, raised Lazarus from the dead. So what does, what does Paul mean when he says he was the firstborn from the dead? Well, that term literally means having the greatest rank and being the most important. Here's what Paul was saying. Yeah, there were other people that were raised from the dead. I know about them. I know about Lazarus being raised from the dead. I get that. I understand that. But Jesus, his resurrection was different. His resurrection was unique. And that's why Jesus is greater than anyone else who's ever been raised from the dead. And there are three reasons why that's true. First of all, Jesus raised himself from the dead. He, everybody else had help. He raised himself from the dead. Number two, He's the only one who's ever been raised from the dead that didn't die all over again. Everybody else was raised from the dead that had to do it all over again. He never died again. Third, he's the only one who has the power or can give the power to raise someone else from the dead. Now, this is why this is also so important to me. One of the things I get to do is, and you get to do this as you've kind of been in the ministry for a while, is I, I give advice to younger pastors. I, it, hardly a week goes by. I met with a young pastor this past week. Hardly, in fact, I had two phone calls from two other pastors getting advice this week. Every week, hardly ever a week goes by, I don't get an email, I don't get a phone call, I don't have somebody say, hey, I need to come see you, I've got an issue, I need you to help me with it. And I'm flattered by that. But one of the things that I remind these younger pastors is this. I said, one of the things you need to understand is this. You're the pastor of your flock. You are not the owner of your flock. There's only one owner, and his name is Jesus. And both the shepherd and the sheep report to the master. Jesus is the leader of the church. Let me tell you why. And I'm not just preaching. I'm not just some you know, ethereal statement out there. You go, well, what does that mean? Here's what that means. When Jesus speaks, we listen. When Jesus leads, we follow. What Jesus commands, we obey. When Jesus stands up, we bow down. So I wanna make a strong statement here about me. There's only one reason why you should follow me as your pastor, only one. Don't ever forget this. It is not at all relevant where you founded the church. That has nothing to do with you following me. Well, you've got the position, you've got the title as pastor that has nothing to do with you following me. The only reason you should ever follow me is because you watch me and you see me and you're convinced I'm following Jesus. That's the only reason. That's why I don't give you two cents for these quote unquote celebrity pastors. There's only one celebrity and we ain't it. His name is Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not being preach you when I say this. The only reason you should ever follow me as your pastor is because you believe I am following Jesus. That's why Paul goes on to say this, and I love this statement. Listen to this. He says in, what's that word? What, what is it? What is it? Yeah, not most things, not big things, not some things. He said in everything, he might have the what? Supremacy. He might have the supremacy. Let me tell you what that means. That means for this pastor right here, just I'll start with me. The most important person in my life better not be my wife. It better not be my children. It better not be my grandchildren. 
It means the most important person in my life better be Jesus. It means that Jesus better have first place in my life. Jesus better be the first priority of my life. And let me just tell you why some of you are not hitting on all eight cylinders in your Christian life. Let me tell you why a lot of you are frustrated in your Christian life. Let me tell you why, why a lot of you know. I know I, I know there's more to the Christian life than this. I can tell you in one reason why, and if you get honest with yourself, I'm telling you the truth. If you know you're not hitting on all eight cylinders in your Christian life, you know something's missing. You know you're not where you need to be. You know you're not headed in the direction you ought to be going. There's only one reason. Jesus does not have first priority in some part of your life. Let's don't sugarcoat it. Let's don't make excuses. Jesus does not have first priority. And I want you to hear me clearly. Jesus will never take second place in your life. He will never be second in line in your life. He will never be second in importance in your life. He wants the supremacy. That's why we follow Jesus as the leader of this church. And what I hope you'll always say, when you invite people to this church, I hope this is true. I hope you're not inviting people to, yeah, I tell you, you ought to come hear our pastor. Well, I hope you want people to hear me and I'm, that blesses me and, I, and, and I, I wanna be the kind of pastor that people, that's not the number one reason why I want you to invite people to this church. I want you to invite people, you know, I'll tell you why I invite people to the church, because you're, you know, you're warm, you're personable, and you're, you're accessible. That's all well, and that's all good, and I try to be. That's not why. I want you to invite people to this church for one reason. Boy, we follow Jesus in our church. Our pastor does everything he can in his private life, in his public life, to follow Jesus, and that's why I follow him. We follow Jesus as the leader of our church. Then here's the last thing. Paul said, we come to Jesus as the link to God. We, we, we come to Jesus as the link to God. Now listen, Christmas is not just about who Jesus is. It's really about what Jesus can do for us and what Jesus can give to us. So Paul goes on to say this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Why? And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth are things in heaven, how? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So let me just tell you about me. I'll give you my testimony. I, I've chosen, when I was a boy, to follow this baby who was laid in a manger. And I didn't do it just because of who he was. I did it because of what he's done. Because Jesus Christ, listen, Jesus Christ as God, because he is God, he alone can do what no one else can do. So what is that? He can take the hand of God because he is God. And he can take the hand of humanity because he was a human. And he can reconcile those two beings together. He can bring God and humanity together. In other words, because he was who he was, he was able to do what he did. So let me put it to you this way. Only Jesus can do what we must have done for us because only Jesus is who he must be to us. Let me, let me explain that. I was telling people this. We had about 350 people I was preaching to yesterday in this building. And I said to them, I said, do you know what every being who's ever been born needs in order to have a relationship with God? Have you ever thought about this? 
from the moment you came out of your mother's womb, there was one thing you had to have happen to you. And by the way, if this has not happened to you, you don't have a relationship with God. You may think you do. You may feel like you do. You may be convinced that you do. But if this one thing has never happened to you, you do not have a relationship with God. And that one thing that has to happen to every human being is reconciliation. There has to be reconciliation. Now, what do I mean by reconciliation? Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship. That's what it is. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship. When two people are separated, doesn't matter why. They don't get along. They had a difference. They had a falling out. They don't like each other. It doesn't matter. When two people are separated, they have to have one thing happen and they'll never get back together. They have got to be reconciled. That has to happen. Now, here's what we don't realize. From the moment we came out of our mother's womb, from our very first breath, we were separated from God. Why? Because of our sinful nature. And the only remedy for separation is reconciliation. At the moment that Jesus died on the cross, Paul says, he brought peace between God and humanity. Humanity, And he signed in his blood a peace treaty between God and you and God and me that lasts forever. See, every day at night when I go to bed, here's how I go to bed. I don't know how you go to bed. Here's how I go to bed. I go to bed at peace with God. Every morning when I get up, I get up at peace with God. And as I walk throughout my day every day, yeah, I'm conflicted by a lot of things, but I'm not conflicted with him because I have been reconciled. I have peace with God. And this is why I want to wrap all this up. This is why we have to be very careful here when we come to Christmas. We can never separate the cradle from the cross. Now hear this now. We can never separate the cradle from the cross. You cannot separate the birth of Jesus from the death of Jesus. You cannot separate the baby that was born from the Christ that was crucified. Let me tell you why. Let's assume that you believe at least this much. Let's say you do believe, yeah, I do believe he was born of a virgin, and I do believe he was the son of God, and, and, and I do believe he literally came from heaven. I, I believe that. Well, let me ask you a question. What good is it for God to leave heaven for God to come to earth, for God to live among us, and then leave this earth and go back to heaven still separated from us. What good does that do? Why would you celebrate that? See, the cradle without the cross is a mystery. The cross without the cradle is a mistake. The cradle without the cross is inexplicable. But the cross without the cradle is inexcusable. And to be completely honest, listen, I'm going to be very frank with you. To try to explain Jesus is folly. To ignore Jesus is foolish. But to reject Jesus is fatal. And that's why Christmas is the most joyful time of the year. But you know what? At the same time, it's the most sorrowful time of the year. I make calls every year at Christmas. I, I called a lady this week. Her husband died. He's one of our most faithful viewers on TV. She lives in Virginia. Heartbroken, crushed. They were married 61 years. Gone. Some of you right there right now, for you, Christmas is not, it's hard for you to be, be happy at Christmas. It's hard for you to sing some of these songs because for you, it's tough. And I get it. 
And what breaks my heart is, you know, when, when, you, when, when you go into the malls and you watch people out here shopping, I think to myself, how many people right now are listening to the music of Christmas, but they totally miss the meaning of Christmas? And they reject the master of Christmas. How many people, listen to this, how many people will sing the songs of Christmas, but they never will surrender to the Savior of Christmas? So let me tell you why this series is so important. And let me tell you why what Paul said is such a big deal. My, uh, as I've told you, I love to talk about Dr. Rogers. He meant so much to me. I've got one picture of one pastor in my studies, Dr. Rogers. He was just my, my hero. Dr. Rogers told the story. He was on an airplane one time, and he, happened to sit, he sat next down to, to a very brilliant, very wealthy, very influential lawyer. And uh, so they, they began to talk. He didn't know Dr. Rogers was a pastor, and, and, but Dr. Rogers found out he was a very brilliant, I think he was a Harvard-educated, if I remember right, just a brilliant lawyer, had a great big law firm. And so they got to talking, and so the lawyer said to, uh, they started about what they liked to read. And, and so, uh, you know, the lawyer was talking about, oh, he likes to read philosophy. And, of course, he likes to read, a, you know, a lot of a, a legal theory. And, and he, he, you know, he was into, I think, you know, uh, cybernetics and, you know, kind of stuff like that. And then he looked at Dr. Rogers. He said, um, well, what do you like to read? And Dr. Rogers said, well, I like to read newspapers and, and books and journals. But he said, I'll tell you what I love to read more than anything else. And he said, what's that? What do you think he said? Yeah, the Bible. He said, I tell you what I love to read. He said, I love to read the Bible. As a matter of fact, he says, I read the Bible more than I read anything else. He said, that's my primary go-to book. Well, this lawyer looked at him and he said, I got a question. He said, um, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, and you tell me that your go-to book is the Bible? He said, yeah. He said, well, let me ask you a question. If all you do is read the Bible, how do you know what to say when you talk to people? How do you know, what, what do you tell people? Dr. Rogers looked at this guy and he said, what's easy? He said, the world only has three problems. The lawyer looked at him and he said, what? Dr. Rogers said, the world only has three problems. Oh no, the world's got a lot more than three problems. Dr. Rogers said, no, the world only has three problems. The lawyer said, Dr. Rogers, I'm telling you, the world's got a lot more than three problems. Dr. Rogers said, I'm telling you, there are only three problems. And the lawyer said, well, what are they? He said, sin, sorrow, and death. That's all the problems the world has. Sin, sorrow, and death. The lawyer said, there's a lot more problems than that. Dr. Rogers said, well, you think about it. And if you think about another problem, come back and tell me. Dr. Rogers said that man sat there, didn't say a word for an hour. He could tell he was racking his brain. He said he got up, went to the restroom, and he came back, and he sat down, and he looked at him with a sheepish grin on his face. He said, Dr. Rogers, you know what I figured out? Dr. Rogers said, no, what's that? He said, the world only has three problems. Sin, sorrow, and death. You think about it. You think about it. Can you tell me one problem the world has that doesn't fit one of those categories? You just name it. Terrorism, that's a sin problem. Divorce, that's a sin problem. Cancer, that's a sin problem. Broken hearts, that's a sorrow problem. At the end, we all face the big problem, that's death. That's one of the big problems we face. And I'll tell you why that's such a blessing to me. Because there's only one answer to all three of those problems. 
And it can be found crying out from a manger 2,000 years ago. See, there is a way in a manger. It's the way into grace. It's the way out of guilt. It's the way up to God. And when you follow the leader, you'll be on your way to where you were made to go and where you need to be because of a little baby that was laid in a manger 2,000 years ago who could only do what he could do because only he is who he was. Let's pray together.